Hello and welcome to Finding Annie. This week's episode is called The Ruling Class. Bum, bum, bum. Um, it is all about education and the education system in England and the UK and how it trickles down and affects the entire of society. It's a little exploration with the help of the most wonderful guest, Jess Phillips. But as always, we will start with a memory. And this week's one is pretty gross and pretty shameful. Um, I'm going to hand over to Shauna, my friend from university. Annie, do you remember um, our landlord at university? Oh my God, there was a big house. There was six girls. And we used to have these mental parties. We'd plan for the parties for months and have big themes and invite half of Belfast. And the house would be mental. One time when we had the party, the next day, really early in the morning, who arrives at the door? Oh my God, it's the landlord. Wear gold shoes on knocking away at the door. No one answered, obviously. We were all in hiding. So doesn't she come in? Oh God, we all heard the key opening. We didn't know where to go. She couldn't get past the bottles of vodka and the cans of beer and cigarette stubs and records. And oh my God, the place was carnage. It was absolutely nuts. And we would hear her coming up the stairs. She'd be looking for us. There'd be no one in the house and all these randomers lying about the place. Um, And then... I think someone left a present in the bath as well, which uh, uh, wasn't the nicest present to leave. Um, especially for your landlord, seeing a poo in the bath. That was not, uh, that was horrific. That was horrific getting uh, getting that visitor the next day after one of the parties. Oh my God. Thank you so much to Shona there for helping me relive something that I had conveniently and maybe deliberately forgotten which was the poo in the bath gate and my landlord coming and finding us the next morning. I mean, that is, I have my head in my hands. That's all I can say. I am appalled, <laughs> absolutely appalled at our behaviour in that house. Um, fucking hell. So that was a huge part of my university life, right? The parties, the fun, the clubbing, the the madness, the late night poker, which you've heard about in previous episodes. Um, There was other obviously aspects to my education, which was education. And I had really, really amazing lessons and tutors and and kind of um, courses in uni. I did English Lit and I studied everything from Irvin Welsh novels to, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola, Apocalypse Now. I wrote an, uh, my own book of poems uh, for a part of a part of a lesson, which I loved. So really fond memories of, of my learning in university. Um, before uni, I went to a fee-paying boarding school in South Dublin uh, called Wesley College. We lived in a housing estate right behind it. We were the first people to move into this housing estate and our back garden backed onto the basketball courts of the school. And every morning, my brothers and sister and I would trudge over the back wall to go to school. Um, I just actually rang my mum because I can't fully remember how it all worked. But my mum said she wanted us to go to a free school. But my dad was determined for us to go to this fee-paying school. Uh, and he was the one earning the main income. So that was his decision um, in terms of his money and he uh, he did and it's important to say that private school in Ireland is nowhere near the levels of fees that it is in the UK um, it is you know in the UK you pay 20 to 30 sometimes even 40,000 pounds a year to go to one of those kind of elite boarding schools for us it was more like three thousand pounds and then when there's more people in the school from the same family you get bigger discounts so it, it wasn't too stupidly expensive um but it was still expensive you know rather than paying nothing at all um we always had to work both my mum and my dad were very um insistent on that and from the age of 15 I was working in a local hardware store in my holidays um the same store that my brothers and sister I think all worked in Um, I basically just copied them, being the youngest in the family. But yeah, I loved school and I had really fond memories of school and it was a great school and I was so lucky and privileged to go there. You know, I was in the choir, I was in the school play, I played hockey. 
um, significantly, I was part of a dance troupe that did a dance routine to a rave version of the Cranberry Zombie at the Dublin National Concert Hall. That was a proud moment. Um, I did a German exchange program, did all of that stuff. So I loved school. And, um, and, and that was my kind of experiences of private school in Ireland. Private school in the UK... In what I'm learning about, and I'm kind of been looking into it a lot recently, it feels more, way more exaggerated and extreme. Uh, probably because, as I mentioned, it's so much more expensive to go there. Um, Twenty to thirty thousand pounds a year, sometimes even forty. One in fifteen people in Britain was educated in a private school, and um, the educational charity Sutton Trust has found that sixty-five percent of all judges, fifty-nine percent of state secretaries, and twenty-nine percent of lawmakers were educated at an elite school. Probably the most well-known school of all those kind of elite boarding schools is Eton College. So Eton is a boarding school for boys. It's near Windsor. Uh, the daily kind of uniform you have to wear seems to be black tie. It's like waistcoats and tails. You have to wear a white bow, bow tie. Um, it's where the royals went and it has produced a huge number of statesmen, military heroes, Nobel laureates, gold medal winners, Oscar recipients. 20 prime ministers went to Eton. Obviously, it's not all Conservative Party members. Tony Blair went to an elite boarding school in Scotland called FETS, or FEETS, I don't know how you pronounce it. Jeremy Corbyn also went to a private school. Um, so it's not just the Tories. It's the entire British government um, seems to be very much overrun by the, the products of, of, these, of this kind of elite boarding school system. In fact, everything decision made over the last 20 years, if you include, include Tony Blair um, and, uh, you know, David Cameron, it has has been made by, by people who went to these schools. So it's really interesting to look into what it is about these schools that produces all these people. Or is it the system around it that produces it? Um, Boris Johnson's own sister says that it is a system that underpins almost all that is wrong with British society. She is among the many people who believe that the private school system should be broken up. I've been reading this amazing article in Der Spiegel um, by a guy called Jörg Schindler. He says of the private school system um, that it's an archaic system that teaches those who belong to it that they are destined for the kind of greatness that others cannot reach. It is a system that teaches the preservation and exercise of power. But it is also one in which the shrewd and cunning, but not necessarily the best, rise to the top. In its eagerness to produce a ruling elite, the system has also done lasting damage to the psyches of many of the children who have passed through it. I'm really interested in the psychological effects of going to a school like this that kind of promotes success at all times and promotes the idea of entitlement. And also that takes you away from your family at 13 years old and kind of puts you in this kind of stringent system of rules and hierarchy. You are taught like self-confidence, you are taught eloquence, how to speak properly and how what to do and behave in, in the various situations you're going to be in. You're taught how to come across as charismatic and charming. But it's the emotional thing that's interesting um, because there's not, doesn't seem to be much emphasis put on how to deal with your own feelings or those of others. Um, Nick Duffel, who's a psychotherapist and has looked into this, quotes, their inner child is locked away and they quickly become pseudo-adults. That is why many of them seem so boyish. Essentially, Britain is being run by children in adult bodies for whom politics is little more than a fascinating game. Now, one person I've heard say this a lot um, in, in terms of accusing politicians of treating their politics like a game is Jess Phillips. And she is our guest in the podcast today. And she is a um, Labour Party member for Birmingham Yardley, has been an MP since 2015. And I have come across her just by watching the news and, you know, being online and seeing clips of her. Um, which have become viral. And the reason why they've become viral is because Jess Phillips doesn't speak the language of Westminster, which is this very kind of um, uh, eloquent and um, precise way of talking and addressing each other in the room. 
she she does have to do say say things a certain way because that's the rules but it sounds foreign on her tongue and she sticks out because she is so normal sounding her voice is accented regently it is not affected um it, it, she is speaking totally it seems uh, like from a very honest and a human place um she shows that she is uh, emotionally attached to the words that are coming out of her mouth um, and that always struck me with her you know um, compared to a lot of other people in that room who there's a lot of guffawing and kind of one-upmanship and slagging people off and shouting and finger pointing and eye rolling um, Jess Phillips seems to really feel the pain of her constituents and, and, and want to kind of convey that in the room. And she seems to not be able to help herself do it. Um, so she is our guest on today's podcast. And I really was interested in her take on Westminster. And again, I don't just mean the, you know, her, uh, the ruling party. I mean the whole environment of that place and the kind of way people speak to each other and the way that kind of trickles down and the way policies and our politics and our society are affected by by this kind of ruling class as such. Um, before we get into it, I have to tell you the other thing that I learned um, in the research for this that blew my tiny mind, which was that Eton College made £51 million from fees in the year 2017 and 2018 but they are not taxed on these fees because they are a charity. Now, all these elite boarding schools are given charity status by the government. Compare this to state schools, who are massively underfunded to the point of not being able to open five days a week. Jess Phillips famously sent her kid to the steps of 10 Downing Street to do his homework um, as a kind of protest against the fact that her kid's school isn't going to be able to open five days a week because it's not got enough money. Um... There are 66,000 more children in state schools this year than last, but 10,800 fewer staff, including 5,000 fewer teachers and 2,500 fewer teaching assistants. Um, nearly a third of schools, according to the National Governors Association, are already in deficit. So it feels like a deeply, deeply unequal situation, this education system. And that's one one system that is kind of affected by by the British government but I thought it was interesting to pinpoint that one because it's an education system that's deeply imbalanced and unequal and it's all a result of the education system is kind of coming full circle so the people coming out of these elite boarding schools are making the decisions that perpetuate this uh, unequal system of education so yeah it's a it's a, it's a fascinating topic to me it's something I don't know a lot about and I would like to know more and Jess Phillips um, is the one to talk to. I was delighted she had the time to chat to us. She's got a book out called Truth to Power, which is all about speaking out um, against wrongdoings and not being afraid to do that. And um, just, just activism at large. And she's one of those people who, is, is, who seems very, very fearless when it comes to this stuff and is loved all over the UK. Um, for her kind of fearlessness and her approach, which is hugely human and empathetic. Um, I went to Portcullis House, which is part of Westminster, to her office on Monday morning, this Monday morning. Or was it Tuesday? Maybe it was Tuesday morning um, at 9am to see her. It was her last day as an MP because obviously she is now in the process of um, campaigning to try and keep her seat at Birmingham Yardley um, because Boris Johnson has called an election. So um, it felt like quite an exciting day because she was kind of on her last day of being an MP and about to embark in this in this kind of campaign. And um, she was in amazing form. She'd been out last night, uh, the night before drinking and was in, um, just was a bit tired and delirious, but it made for an amazing conversation. Um, I'm excited for you to hear. So please, end of the podcast, Jess Phillips. Okay, so here we are in Portcullis House, which is very exciting to me. <laughs> I am in the office of Jess Phillips, who is MP for One More Day. One More Day. Uh, there's a song in that. <laughs> MP for One More Day. What is that? 
You know that song? Du, du, I don't think that MP for one more day is a song. <laughs> it might be. I always just sing things that, that remind me of things. Okay, so how does it feel to uh, have your MP-ness? Clearly I'm not massively political, <laughs> Jess, so you have to teach me a lot. Yes, my status as an MP. Yes, um, kind of ending soon, potentially. Yeah, um, it feels, it, there's a mixture of feelings, there's a sort of terror. Yeah. Um, I feel a bit calm. And you seem I, well chilled. I mean, I feel a bit calm and I feel a bit anxious mm. that I feel calm. I've basically sort of gone a bit meta and I've gone yeah. inside myself. I feel quite calm about the election because when you stand, when your job is basically taking risks and you know it's not forever and you know what the chances are yeah. in your whole career of things wildly changing, you... And you're attracted to that sort of thing. MPs are attracted to essentially what is a risky business. At the moment, it's like when you're waiting for a tragedy to happen or you're waiting for someone to get ill or you convince yourself you've got a brain tumour. The anticipation is always worse than the event. And so the anticipation, I'm in this sort of calm state now because this is... This is the life I entered into and it's the one I've got. And now, you know, I know what to do in an election. So I just face it down. Yeah, Yeah, just face it down. I'll do everything I can. And you get a bit sort of case sera, sera. There is definitely a song about that. I can't, I won't, I won't. Being Irish, it brings me back to the World Cup days. And um, you get a bit of case sera, sera about it. You know, I'll do my best, but whatever will be, will be. So I feel quite calm. Do you think you'll win? I think I'll probably win in my constituency, although there's no such thing as a dead cert. Uh, we've seen people with 22,000 majorities overturned in by-elections or in the last election. So I've got a 17,000 majority. And I'm not getting any sense from the people of Birmingham Yardley that they're really annoyed with me. Mm-hmm. I think they are quite annoyed with, in, in a four-year period, having to say three times that they would like me to be their Member of Parliament. I think they're a bit like, how many times do we need to tell you? Mm-hmm. We pick her. Stop asking us. Mm-hmm. They're a bit like, gosh, we have to have another election. I'm not feeling a great sense of a desire for an election. Yeah, no. Yeah. No. And also, it's going to be cold, isn't it? Yeah. I've been reading your book, mm-hmm. Truth to Power, mm-hmm. and really enjoying it. And um, I wanted to speak to you today about the, the probably the power system that you may, you may know the most, I'm presuming <laughs> you do, which is the the kind of the, the kind of system of the elite in the yeah. British government. Yeah. Um, how many people can you just reel off now that you know went to Eton, that you work oh, with in gosh. Westminster? Absolutely loads. Well, I mean, so, so Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, I think Oliver Dowden went. There's this whole ridiculous thing that they do in Parliament that I didn't understand and had to literally Google whilst I was sat in front of them. Um, there's something called Wickhamism, Wickhamists. They, they're they like, oh, God. you would say that you're a Wickhamist. And I think that means you went to Winchester School. Oh, my so, God, there's an actual word. There's an actual word. And they, they're like, there's a word for Eton as well, but I, don't, I can't remember what that yeah. is. Wickhamists sounded like they were witches or something. So I was like, oh, he's accusing him of being a witch. Um, But I mean, so uh, just uh, as an example, yesterday we had the speakership election and every single person who stood for speaker had been to a private school. Um, I mean, not Eton, but uh, every single person. I think that, that, I mean, the percentage of people in this building who went to private school is... I think in the country, it's 7%. In here, it's, it, I'm not entirely sure what it is, but definitely over a third. Yeah. There's, there's, there's more people who went to private school than there are women. Wow. Yeah. When you became an MP in 2015, how did you feel about the kind of people that were here? You know, did you feel like imposter syndrome because of these people being... I felt imposter syndrome, the whole building, uh, I mean, we're in Portcullis House here, which is the sort of more modern bit of the building. The whole building is so historic, the old bit of the building. And it's designed to crush you a little bit, which I think is good in some ways, because anyone who comes here thinking they're the big I am is a bit like, actually, dude, the people who went before you, they were probably a bit better than you. Um, and so the, there is that element where the building sort of crushes you. And I did I, I did feel like I didn't understand the language. I don't understand. Like yesterday they did this thing where 
after they elect a speaker, you ha- they have to be dragged to the seat. It's based on some 16th century. <laughs> it's like, I, don't know, it's like- I don't even know what it is. It's ridiculous. But, I mean, they couldn't have designed something that made people feel more like they were in a sort of public school bunty novel yeah. than watching somebody being dragged into a seat and then given a wig and a gavel and stuff like it's just like ridiculous it's so strange isn't it when you look at it from like an outside perspective and kind of take away the ideas of tradition it's like what the fuck is going on yeah well a lot of it what's that knocking speaker burko um he uh so john burko he did he took away the wigs and he took away yeah. some of the uh, the stuff that seemed a bit like made it seem a bit otherworldly yeah whilst keeping a lot of the traditions and i don't mind some of the traditions now i just ignore them i don't yeah. partake in them ever yeah. so i don't like oh, do the procession when the queen comes in and like go and follow her i, I just stay at home on that day yeah because like i can watch it on the telly and get a better view yeah it's a bit like all sporting events um <laughs> and so i you know I, I i don't do all the sort of fancy yeah. stuff you don't have to do it the and ritual, actually yeah that it is with me but the people what i found when i came here was that i have met people that i i, I not just had never met people like this I had never imagined the existence of people. There are people in here who are so... It's not even posh is to underestimate. They come from an actually different world to the one I come from. Now, what I found was when I came here, some of it made me feel like... I remember being walking behind two lords and they were talking just like a week after I got here and they were talking about another new MP a Tory man, MP, I can't even remember who it was. But they were like, let's just say his surname was Phillips for the sake of this anecdote. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, is, is he of the Norfolk Phillips? And I was thinking, <laughs> which 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 am I of? Like, you know, does, what did we say? Oh, they're the Birmingham. Like, there are families. God. It's like being in Pride and Prejudice. Wow. I remember just, but to be honest, I didn't find that gave me uh, imposter syndrome. It made me feel like I belonged to him more. Yeah. Because this is meant to be for the people. This is the House of Commons, and I am definitely a bit common. Mm. Uh, and so... But it, you shine like you, a fucking beacon. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, this is the thing about you, is that you, you shine like a beacon out of here because of that. Because you speak like a normal, normal person. person and it feels like the most obvious thing in the world but when it's not until I heard you speak in that context that I realised that no one else was doing it yeah, that yeah, I'd I just, seen I just talk with like a regional talk, accent yeah. speaking like a normal person on the street and I get things wrong all the time and I admit that I get yeah. things wrong so when I'm speaking in the comments I constantly am like oh hang on and I'll turn to the speaker and say am I doing this right because I don't know yeah. I don't know like the other day I said my own name when you're not allowed to say names in the house of commons oh, you have to say God, they're member for so x y and z and I was like so I said I was talking about I was quoting somebody else who was talking to me and I said oh and they said this that and the other Jess and then I said oh god am I allowed to say my own name and they were like yeah you can say your own name how ridiculous to have to ask if I'm allowed to say my own name at work I'm a 38 year old mother of two I'll say my own name if I want to but what I did find so I did I, I didn't feel like an imposter because of that but what I did find weirdly is that I met people from a world I didn't really couldn't have imagined and had only vilified and some of them were brilliant and exceptional mm. and kind. Mm. And I actually had to look inside myself and address some of the um, intolerances yeah. that I potentially yeah. Yeah. had had because they're the toughs. And like a really good example is um, his Churchill's grandson, Nicholas Soames. He just resigned from Parliament. He's standing down after 30 years here. Now he's... He's Churchill's grandson. I mean, my say gran- no more. Yeah, my granddad was a gardener yeah. um, <laughs> at a local school, and the other one worked in a in a car factory, like everybody. So you know, not Churchill. Um, although I'm going to say maybe just as good. Yeah. Um, but um, and he he his family own like country piles. His mm. even on his mother's side, his father's side, as his mother was Churchill's daughter is that, you know, they've got, like, houses and stuff like that. They own land. And, you know, I would have I would have definitely thought, ugh, he's going to be intolerable. And, mm. and he was kind and progressive and wanted to see the world change just as, mu- mm. as much as I did. We just had a different way of thinking that that might happen. And I did have to... I did have to try and sort of change my own attitude because you have to pull together in a direction with some of these yeah. people, otherwise you can't change things. 
Um, but yeah, then there is a lot of really toffy people. One woman in the Conservative Party, oh, she'll remain nameless. I wish you could see Jess right yeah. now. Her, her palm went up. And she, she was like, oh, you live in uh, Birmingham? And I said, yeah. And she's like, God, why would you do that? And I was just like, it's because I love it. It's where I come from and it's better than you. And uh, she's just like, ugh, you don't have to live there, you know. Nobody will know if you don't bother. And I was just like, you're a, you're a disgusting human wow. being. Yeah. I read this amazing article in The Spectator yesterday because I was, I was kind of researching about Eton and those schools and the people that come from there. 20 prime ministers from Eton. Oh, yeah, 20 yeah. prime None from my school. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet, babe, <laughs> not, not yet, Jess. Um, but I was thinking, I was reading about the psychological ramifications of going there because it's interesting you talk about how people from there, you know, it, it's so easy to hate on on, on these people mm. because they're, they're kind of caricatured. They're like evil villains. Like Jacob yeah. Rees-Mogg is like someone off a film that someone's made up. Yeah. Um, but the, the kind of psychological effects of going to a boarding school like that, leaving your parents at quite a young age, um, this kind of bullying system... Um, and there's a there's a famous psychotherapist, I'll read you the quote, who talks about this kind of pseudo, he says, Nick Duffel is his name, their inner child is locked away and they quickly become pseudo adults. That is why so many of them seem boyish because they don't get a chance mm. to be children because they have to kind of go immediately into this weird adult system. He says, essentially, Britain is being run by children in adult bodies for whom politics is little more than a fascinating game. That really rung mm. true with the stuff I've seen you say with regards to yeah. Boris and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's... It- both Cameron and Boris Johnson, they're, they're cut from a very similar cloth, although they um, they would probably argue differently. But both of them, Cameron, his, his upbringing, you know, when I was a kid, I said I wanted to be the prime minister and people were like, oh, isn't that charming? Like, bless yeah. her. Like, and when Cameron was a child and he said, I want to be the prime minister, you know, Oil companies probably started lobbying him because it was almost certain mm. that that was going to be the case. And it feels like their passage through life has been so very greased, so very easy, that they can take a chance on the lives of other people because it will never affect them. And they don't understand that risks have consequences. In both Boris Johnson and David Cameron, there is this arrogance that what you want, you get. And nobody in the country has that life experience. Mm. Nobody I grew up with thinks, well, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm definitely going to make... It's like Del Boy, do you know what I mean? Like, we'll <laughs> definitely be... Next year, we'll be millionaires. <clears throat> That's just like a joke to most people. And so the, the way that they govern... And the way that they behaved was, and Boris continues to behave in this manner, is just, it's in, it's just drips in entitlement. Mm. It is like it is a game. That is the thing that is so alarming, is that within their own tribe, mm. they are playing a game of one-upmanship about, like they genuinely have concerns over who got to be the hood boy or who got to be the leader of something at Oxford. I don't even know what they're called. And they continued to basically play Billy Big Bollocks Mm. whilst meant to be governing the country. And it isn't a game. This is... They don't understand that the political... that the personal is political. They don't understand that because no policy that has ever existed actually affected their lives, either good or bad. Mm. So they never needed a sure start centre and they never they never had to worry about whether the, the local school was any good for their children or for themselves. Mm. And they, they never had to worry that if they needed an operation and it was going to take three and a half weeks, that they couldn't just pay for it. Mm. And so to them... The idea of the sort of noble idea of coming here to use policy to change people's lives is that they they had no concept of what that actually means because to them politics is a game. So the and root to of me, it, yeah, the to me, the, is, pol- the personal yeah. is political. So it's totally different. The root of how you approach it and they approach it totally because, different yeah. because I I approach it with with um, pain. Yeah. 
it comes from both pain and desire for hope. Yeah. And for them, it comes from desire for power. And pride. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They cannot understand that politics actually affects people's lives. It's endemic in terms of like even the system of eating, because again, this is something that I've only just learned, is that they made £51 million in fees in the year 27, 2018. Jesus Christ. And they're a charity. Oh yeah, and that's all, ridiculous that they're the a charity. F- what the fuck? So all schools of like Eaton's Ilk are classified as a charity, so they get tax breaks and they don't pay tax on the fifty one million pounds that they make as fees. And people don't have to pay VAT either or put tax and on then their you, fees. You compare and you can that to, claim it off your tax. And then you compare that to a state school, you know, which oh, which man. can't even run for five days a week, you know. Yeah. So how is that? How yeah, is not, how is that allowed to be the case? I was in uh, Birmingham launching uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Pre in Edgebaston's campaign on Saturday, and it was about education funding. And a woman who had an SEN, uh, so special educational needs, yeah. uh, ch- her child had special education needs, and she stood up and she talked, and she said, is there any way that we can get some of the special schools in the city, can we get them... Uh, charitable status because uh, then they could be applying for things like a variety bus because school, home to school transport is difficult for disabled yeah, kids because yeah. often the special school is further away from home because there's not one in every area and it, I was just like do you know what I, I cannot believe that this is even a question that we have to a ask because the state should be able to provide it but also that state schools that have desperate needs in this circumstance cannot access the same grant funding as private schools and I, I don't know how many kids with special educational needs there are at Eton but I'm, I'm gonna guess not that many mm. um because you 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 have to take tests to get in now I once heard a part one of the uh, Tory MPs who'd gone to Eton uh, complaining that his child might not be able to get in and that it wasn't fair anymore because they had to be clever and pass a test and that they might not be clever enough and I was just like oh shucks <laughs> must be tough to be you the struggle is real the, the trouble is, is that the thing you can't get rid of is the network. You can't get rid of the influence yeah. um, without getting rid of that particular system. So the idea that if you went to Eton, you probably go to Oxford or Cambridge and then you probably, you know, just, you know, get a job somewhere. So personally, for me, I would like to see sort of quotas on the amount of people who get into uh, universities, let's say the top universities, the Red Brick universities and, and the Oxbridge uh, universities and colleges. I just think that if 7% of the kids in the country go to private school, yeah. why don't we say that only 7% of intake mm-hmm. at any university should go to private should, school, yeah. can have come from private school? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, presumably they'd all get a place then. Mm-hmm. There'd, there'd be enough places, but it what happens is when I went to university, like half the people in my in my class had been to a private school and I was going to study politics and I was imagining it was going to be like batik wall hangings and incense <laughs> and talking about feminism. And it was like just a sort of classroom uh, and everybody was a Tory. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, I don't think I'd, I don't actually think I'd ever met a Tory before I went wow. to university. Yeah. I just thought that they were something that was talked about, like a sort of like a ghoul under the bed. Um, I don't know that I'd ever actually come across one knowingly. Um, but so then I was in these politics lectures with uh, like really actually a lad from Eton who was in uh, Prince William's class because I'm the same age as Prince William. Um, and I just was like, oh my God, this is so weird. But we've got to somehow curtail the influence, not just, mm-hmm. we've got to curtail the ability for where you were born, what family you were born into, being able to be used to get you like up the ladder a little yeah. bit that that is a much harder question and how we do that and we we've, we've got to in one regard it is leveling up the state school sector yeah. so my son's school um every year I go in and judge uh, he goes to a, the local comprehensive to where we live and we, I go in and judge a public speaking competition. Now, I had never done any public speaking until I went to university and I remember I had to do a presentation and I genuinely like looked up where to get beta blockers from the internet because I was so nervous. Yeah. Whereas that's the kind of thing that they've been doing in uh, the private school oh, system. From, from, from 13. From, yeah. Yes, from very young. Yeah. And so we, we need to be giving 
young people all sorts of different tools about mm. confidence because it's a confidence trick is what Eton teaches mm. you but also they're not taught any sort of emotional compassion so if you feel like there's a lot of kind of the, the people in charge you know you're saying about that kind of basic human empathy mm. they have it but you don't feel like there's they feel the pain in the way you do. Yeah, they, Even the way you can see, the, like when you talk in Parliament, you can see that. You're that I feel pain, yeah. There's pain. And, uh, the, I mean, that's, the, I suppose, the difference between even just the Labour Party and the Conservative Party is that the Conservative Party, people often don't realise this, even though they say the word conservative all the time. Mm. It literally means to conserve, yeah. to conserve the status quo, to keep things the same as they are. Yeah. And the Labour Party is a movement born, it was... It, it had to be invented. It mm. didn't exist. The Conservative Party just exists. Mm. It it has always existed. It is it's, the, it's systemic. It, it's, yeah. it has always existed. The Labour Party had to be created because of pain and struggle. Yeah. And so when things aren't born out of that pain, yeah. and they are just there to keep things nice and pretty, like a carriage clock on on a mm. shelf, it isn't to sort of smash up the shelf and build something that would be useful. It. It, there is this difference where that it's not born out of struggle, and I, I you know, I'm sure, you know, David Cameron, a really good example is that, you know, I don't think that bad things never happen to these people. He had That's a not, disabled yeah. son who yeah. had died, and I, you know, he he will have felt pain and suffering from that, and and wanted to do better for people yeah. with um it's within that circumstance, but but how he managed his policies then was to do better for people in that circumstance who also shared his circumstance. Mm. Not people who were poor, mm. not people who were in that situation who now can't get their children into... I mean, one of the biggest things that I handle every day in my constituency is people with kids with special educational needs, literally their children are not in school because there is not school places for them. And um, when they did the nursery legislation under David Cameron, it was basically proven that it would discriminate against children with disabilities. Mm. So his pain and struggle was through his eyes. And you've got to be able to understand that other people exist, people who are not like you. I suppose what I I started by saying was that I recognised when I got here that there were people who were not like me and I had to learn about my own. I just wish that they didn't think that they were the default experience. Boris Johnson and David Cameron think that they are the default experience and literally hardly anyone's ever met anyone like them. They're clever people. That's the thing. Boris is a clever person. He's academically super gifted. You know, in Eton again, I learned this. Um, how does he not know? He must be clever enough to know. That's the thing about the elite, oh, well, right? There's no, so Boris. few of them. How? How? Are there, there's so few of them, and there's so many of everyone else. How do? How does everyone else not? I just actually win? think that there is a difference between Boris and David Cameron because I think that David Cameron um, didn't know and. Sp- but did care a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Boris Johnson does know that people aren't like him and, and don't have his, care. and he doesn't care. Yeah. He, Boris Johnson cares about Boris Johnson. Mm. I'm afraid to say, um, Boris uh, Johnson. I don't think that. Again, I no. Actually, I can't even say that. I don't think he. I was about to say I, I don't think he wants to harm people, but there was literally a recording of him talking about somebody being harmed. I don't. I'm not sure that they mind who they harm in their pursuit of their power. Mm. It's a it's a game. That's what bothers me is that they consider people's mm. lives a game. Mm. And so Boris Johnson does know that he doesn't understand people's life experience. That can you imagine if I if coming from where I come from and the background that I come from and the fact that I'm a woman. Let's just say I had four kids with three different women, with three different men. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have terms for that when a woman does it. Um, <laughs> and I, there was a recording of me uh, talking about how I wanted to get someone battered from, you know, one of my mates had called me and there'd been something mm-hmm. that had gone on and I was helping them arrange for that person to be harmed. Or that I had... Um, paid money to keep people quiet on things. Mm. There's just absolutely no way I would end up the Prime Minister of this country. Not in a million years. I would be ruled out from day one. Mm. And the reason they play the game and they treat it like it's a game is because they always win. 
because the deck is stacked and they will always keep on winning. They they need to be challenged by people who can be believed in the country mm. and people who can actually reach inside and touch the thing that makes people realise that people like Boris Johnson and David Cameron are not about them. Mm. They are, they're not for them, that they're only for themselves. But the way that we build trust as politicians, there's lots of different uh, styles of being a politician. It is not just to agree with everything that every one of your constituents says and to blindly just uh, just promise the world. That is the way to build distrust. Mm. You have to be honest with your constituents. When people come in and see me or write emails to me or send me messages on Twitter and they're like, oh, you should do this, um, you know, blah, 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 or I don't like what you've done about... You have to be willing to, to be disliked as well. Mm. And people have so much respect if you're willing to be disliked mm. if you're willing to be like people write to me every day and say I don't always agree with you Bab but and <laughs> you know I, I, I like that you say what you think and I feel like you're one of us because we belittle the population all the time as if they can't understand but they do understand and they see the sh- if you're a charlatan they will see right through you mm. so you the way that I have tried to do it in my constituency and in the country is just always, sometimes, and sometimes it's painful and embarrassing, dig deep and just be honest Mm. and tell the truth. And then people will, they'll hear you out. They won't always agree with you, but they will hear you out when you tell them Mm. that Boris Johnson is playing a game with their lives. Mm. And... Boris Johnson's main flaw is that he is desperate to be adored like a child who maybe got left by his parents. He needs adoration. And it will be his... his It is his Achilles heel. It will be his undoing that he needs to be adored. Mm. And so he will... And I do it as well. You know, we all can suffer from this, especially extroverted people. Mm. Um, it It means he shows off. Mm-hmm. It means that when he's not getting it, he'll pull the levers like a class clown. He'll pull the levers he knows works to get the adoration. Mm-hmm. So if he's going around northern towns as he does and people start being like, please leave my town, as that man said to him yeah. in Wakefield, mm-hmm. or people are having a pop at him in the street, he will he will pull the lever that isn't very statesmanlike to get a laugh or to mm-hmm. or be bombastic or to s- slag off the other side and be really, really, really divisive. Yeah. And it will always come back badly on him eventually. Yeah. And it is because he needs to be adored. Boris Johnson should settle and expect nothing more than being respected. Yeah. Now, the British people, they like Boris Johnson quite a lot, as you see in lots of the polling. I'm not entirely sure they respect him yet, and I don't. Yeah. I, I think he's got to earn it, and I think he's incapable because he's too interested in being adored. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance, United Healthcare Tri-Term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Do you still want to be Prime Minister? Uh, I mean, actually, I wouldn't mind being the Prime Minister. Mm. Uh, I think being the leader of a political party looks like an absolute bloody bun fight, doesn't it? (laughs) I mean, that's the... Come um, on, you've got to be leader of Labour, at least. Yeah, 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 no, I mean, if I'm going to be the leader of any political party, it would be the Labour Party. But 
all of the problems, not all, I mean, you can put most of the problems that we have had in British politics for the for the past sort of 10, 15 years down to fractions within political parties. Mm. So David Cameron had to neuter the ERG. Mm. Uh, Theresa May became the prisoner of one faction in her party. Yeah. And Boris Johnson now has to keep on throwing them red meat. Mm. And it varies, <laughs> not dissimilar to, uh, you know, the Labour Party, where it's like constant rubbing up of, of which faction holds the, it's just that seems like a total yeah. like a sort of Shakespearean nightmare yeah. um, being the leader of a political party um, but yeah I would really like I mean imagine being the Prime Minister what I cannot bear about Theresa May's premiership and now Boris Johnson's is that both of them spent their time in office and this is because they come from privilege. They spent their time in office trying to make their office more secure. Instead of trying to make the offices in the country more secure. Mm. Imagine the amount of power that you would have if you were the prime minister of this great country. You I literally could come up with 10 things mm. that I would want to change in the first 100 days that would mean that our country, after 10 years of no progress, we've not stepped forward at all mm. to start stepping forward and making things better. I mean, it's just imagine having the power. Mm. So I sit in here all day running, starting campaigns to try and convince people to listen in who have the power to do things. Imagine if you could go, yeah, right, we'll do that. <laughs> I just cannot even, be, I don't know how I would behave. I would be a bit like somebody's got to have a campaign to get me to do this. And then I could just be like, oh, no, it's me. Yes, we, we'll equalise paternity rights with maternity rights oh and we'll God, pay yes. men to stay off work. Just as one example, I'd just be like, Okay, let's do it. I get that. I assume they've got a rubber stamp. Yeah, I just. <laughs> it's probably an old like seal. Like, yeah, that's like it. A, yeah, like a wax seal. by candlelight. Yeah. Um, I would just be like, let's do it. Um, Send it by carrier pigeon out the window of <laughs> exactly, Westminster. Yeah, I'm sending a crow. Um, so I would, you know, oh, please be prime minister. Come on, I'm going to make it very games of throny if I ever become the prime minister. I'm basically going to. Although the women who uh, ruled in that were not always the best leaders. Yeah, but they were strong. Characters, they were strong. Which I liked. I they liked were that it was strong. all about them. They weren't second fiddle to people. That's, that's definitely true. Mm. So, um, and also by the end, John Snow. It's just like, oh God, nobody believes in you anymore. Yeah. You had the opportunity, you missed it. <laughs> Imagine watching Game of Thrones with Jess Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just, I, I can't imagine how amazing it would be to try and make things move forward. I watched a video on uh, Twitter yesterday of Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister in New Zealand. She's been the what Prime Minister for two years and she's given birth in that time as well. Mm. I mean, I didn't wash my hair yeah. for a long while <laughs> after I'd had a baby. So she's she's already got a bigger tick than me in that regard. I just didn't leave the house. And, uh, and it was her first baby as well. Oh God, the woman must wow. have been in bits anyway yeah. um and she was given two minutes by her team to list all the things that they had changed in the two years that they had been in government and it was you know it was to basically just that if Theresa may had to do it she'd be able to she'd take up the entire two minutes just saying i did a review and then we had some votes i didn't win yeah. um and it was just amazing to yeah. see that somebody who wants to push things forward and the Tories will all say in their defence they will say oh well we had hung parliaments so we couldn't do anything but that is bullshit I'm afraid to say because there's no way that if Theresa May the domestic abuse bill is a really good example she really wanted it she launched it like three years ago that she was going to do it and the day before she she stood down it got onto the statute book so she had like two and a half years Crack on. It's not like I was going to vote against it. Yeah. Why do you take that long? Why did you take that long? If you'd actually wanted to progress some things, come and talk to us. I'll help you. Mm. I'm not in the business of being tribal if it means women's lives are being saved or mm. children can go to school mm. or men can get the right mental health treatment. I'm, I'm mm. right there with you, sister. Yeah. But you didn't. Yeah. You spent your entire time solidifying your own position. Yeah. And that is because they don't understand struggle. They don't understand that things need to actually change. And they're only ever about conserving themselves and conserving power. Mm. Down with that sort of thing. Mm. 
I'm giving Jess Phillips a standing ovation in her office. Wow, thank you. Thank You're you welcome. so much. Um, okay. I'm a bit hungover as well. well so, it's working for you. I mean, yeah, for you. maybe I'll do my best work. So, Truth to Power is the book. You're now going to, as of tomorrow, stop being an MP. Oh, no you can't use the head of paper. I can't you can't come it. in the building. Nope. So what do you do? You're up in Birmingham, you're just, door knocking. Yeah, I'm going to door knock. Uh, I'm going to phone bank. We'll be just campaigning, going to all the How's schools. Whiplash? My whiplash is feeling much better, but I have a, I have actually a dangerously high pain threshold. Um, and oh so God. I need to go and properly get like yeah. a, a scan and make sure I'm all right. Because like I was in labour for eight hours without realising... Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and scan. I broke my ankle and walked around on it for like six months. Jesus. So because I, I that is probably some deep psychological reason why you're able to do this job. This job, and I have why an, you should be prime minister. Incredibly high pain threshold. Um, so yeah, I'll be doing that. But I'm also going to go around the country and go okay. to seats that are less safe and speak to people in in those areas because yeah. it's not you know if you if you seek to try and be a person who has power in this country, you have to remember that the bit of your the bit of the country you come from. Might not be like all the others. And so yeah. I'm going to go and listen yeah. to people in other areas as well. So that's what, like a month, pretty you, much? How, how, you got a, you, you a got month. Five, five weeks, five, yeah, five, okay. four and a half weeks. Okay, well, I wish you the best. Oh, thanks. I've got no doubt that you'll still be here. <laughs> oh, gosh, I hope so. the open again. <laughs> Thank you so much. No worries. So good to speak to Jess Phillips. What a woman. If you have anything to say, if you have any reactions, anything that you are like, have to get off your chest after listening to this conversation, findingannimac at gmail.com. Hit me up on there. I'd love to hear from you. Or hit us up on Instagram, AnnieMacDJ, on one of our posts um, with Jess on it. And uh, yeah, I was so chuffed to do that episode. I have to say it was so fun and just to get her in such good form. And who knows what will happen? As we know with politics at the moment, it's literally um, ever, ever changing at a terrifyingly rapid pace. So, yeah, who knows what will happen. But a really nice little insight into her situation um, on Tuesday last. OK, next week on Finding Annie, our episode is called Eating Animals. And it's something I feel very passionately about. It's something that I have lots of questions about that I don't know all the facts about. I've read up on um, but I'm really, really excited to speak to our guest. His name is Dr. Rupi Allier, um, or Dr. Rupi, as he's most commonly known. And he is uh, a GP, an NHS GP, who started a thing called the Doctor's Kitchen, which is a project to inspire patients about the beauty of food and the medicinal effects of eating well. So um, he kind of comes at food from a medical perspective. He knows everything there is to know about food and the facts behind food and whether it's good for you and bad for you and how it how it affects you. Um, and I'm particularly interested in speaking to him about meat um, and eating meat and he's also had his own medical problems over the years that he has had to kind of work through and figure out so he's got a, a really amazing story that I'm looking forward to hearing about um, so yeah so I can't wait for you to hear next week's episode I'm going to see you then Finding Annie next week all based on eating animals have a wonderful week everyone see you next week When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.